hello again. Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. It's not normal for me to do podcasts this close together because I did one yesterday around uh, lunchtime. And of course, uh, it's the morning. It's 1030 a.m. where I am. But, uh, you know, I, I was thinking this morning about this is Tuesday. Normally, I do Truth Script Tuesday. I think I'm going to do the Truth Script stuff tomorrow, or at least I'll release it tomorrow. And um, I want to just, while this is still a discussion, I want to weigh in on the Southern Baptist stuff, because I know there's a lot of Southern Baptists in the audience. And uh, so uh, this is an unannounced live stream, but uh, I know many will watch it later today in the uh, recording. And um, I, I saw yesterday, it was, uh, I guess, in the afternoon, and then there was a lot of analysis about it in the evening, but Brent Leatherwood, who is the the uh, uh, president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptist Convention. We talked about him a little bit yesterday. He decided to do a press conference, and the press conference was allegedly in representation of the parents of the victims of the Nashville shooting. And uh, I mentioned yesterday that when this initially happened, Brent Leatherwood in a story in the New York Times had said that he was going to use all the resources at his disposal, essentially to uh, attorneys, that is, to suppress any uh, revelation of the Nashville shooters manifesto. And uh, I said, that's a curious thing because this isn't something that I've seen the ERLC uh, get involved in before as far as uh, with other shootings and trying to uh, suppress the uh, revealing of whatever the shooter's motives were. This is the first time I can remember that happening. And of course, uh, this is a personal thing though. I mean, uh, his I don't know if it's daughter or son, but at least one of his children go to Covenant School where the shooting took place. And so I thought, well, maybe there's personal things at play here. Who knows? But um, but but that's what he said. And then, of course, uh, he joined the left as at least he carried water, I think, for the left's narrative going uh, right after that into we got to push for red flag laws in the state of Tennessee. And meaning we need to limit those who can. Um, uh, purchase or own firearms based upon um, testimony of family, that kind of thing. And of course, this is, I don't want to get into the red flag issue deeply, but this has been a concern of uh, pro second amendment and pro gun rights organizations for a long time, because they, what they see is, you know, situations where you might have a divorce or, or something, you know, family feud, whatever it is. And you have people that are close to you that try to uh, take away your ability to defend yourself. And um, of course, nothing uh, related to the taking of hormones, which probably, uh, well, I shouldn't say probably, but it, it possibly could have contributed to this situation uh, when you have a female biologically taking hormones because they think they're a male. I mean, that that produces some aggression when you get that testosterone in you and you're not used to it and your body's not made for it. Um, but, uh, the, you know, that, that's not part of it. That's not part of the equation. So I, I went over all that yesterday and I know this is review for many of you, but, uh, Brent Leatherwood decided to weigh in today. And so I'm going to play for you some videos of what he's saying. And this is the question for Southern Baptists. I'm going to get into a few Southern Baptist issues. This is the first one. Um, is this the kind of person you want representing you? And if not, I would suggest, uh, in fact, maybe I'll pull it up on the podcast going to the board for the ERLC contacting them. I, and I don't know exactly if, if, if that pressure is going to do much, but it's the only shot I think you have other than the annual meeting. 
and trying to get uh, some kind of a uh, a censorship. People were calling for or um, uh, censoring him. People were calling for his removal. But you know, so any kind of pressure you can bring if you're still in the convention, I think that's the responsible thing to do. Uh, otherwise, you know, you don't want your money if you're going to this organization or or uh, Brent Leatherwood if this is the kind of thing he does. And so I'll show you what what I'm talking about. Uh, I was going to distill this myself because <laughs> I, I saw the video, but Megan Basham actually did a lot of the work for me. And I, so I'm grateful to her. And, and people have asked me, by the way, you know, you're going to have Megan Basham ever on the podcast. And the answer is yes, I will. As many of you know, I don't necessarily go for high profile guests. Uh, I am, I, I love having high profile guests, but I'm not, I, I don't know. I don't really make a distinction uh, as to whether they're high profile or you've never heard of them. I, I think through the way I, the metric I use when I invite guests is whether or not they are, um, the information they have is going to be helpful to you. So especially like people who have an expertise in a certain area or they're firsthand witnesses of something, or, uh, especially people that you haven't heard of maybe, and you should have, you should have heard of them because they are being ignored by other media outlets. Those are the people I tend to go for. So anyway, that's a, an aside on how I think through who I have on the show, but Megan's got a book coming out at some point. And when that book comes out, I definitely uh, will have her on the show, but Megan put this out there and uh, her, her reporting on this stuff has been invaluable. She said, uh, Brent Leatherwood, head of the ERLC who lobbied for gun control after the shooting called person uh, who leaked the person who leaked the pages of the manifesto, a viper. So, it's just interesting that the strong words that Brent Leatherwood uses. Imagine that these pages show the killer using the N word and gleefully expressing hope of killing black children. Would he still frame the leaker as shameful and say, how dare you? Or would he think leaker, uh, the leaker did something heroic in not allowing the authorities to cover up the fact that the killer was motivated by rank anti-black racism. And so if you put the shoe on the other foot, she's saying, you know, you, you would never see this kind of uh, act, this, this uh, posturing. And so I'm going to play for you that first clip uh, from it was about a 15 or uh, 16 minute um, uh, press conference, but I'll play for you. This is the first clip that Megan's got. And lastly, I want to speak directly to the person who took these images and released them. You are a viper. You're a member of the law enforcement community. And you have released evidence that was gathered in our most vulnerable moment. You have now allowed this woman who terrorized our family with bullets. All right, I'm going to stop there uh, just because it, you can already see what's going on. And uh, <laughs> Peter Sawyer, <laughs> I just gave it this. If you were here in the chat yesterday. It's funny to me. Showing up in the chat, wanted to remind you that she was born female. Yeah, that was like everyone yesterday <laughs> after I corrected it. People kept saying that. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Um, okay, so it, th this goes on for a while. But essentially what it is, is uh, Leatherwood is playing. He, he, he is, it, even the way it comes across seems disingenuous. It is, it, it, and I think being in SBC uh, entities or working for SBC organizations, I, I I saw this and I'm like, oh, I think I actually commented to someone. This maybe this is mean. I don't know, but I said he he seems like the SBC clone, like meaning 
the the way the SBC leaders act, they they act very similar to each other. And in situations like this, uh, where you saw it like it with the uh, BLM stuff in 2020, you saw it with the COVID stuff, you saw it uh, with the Me Too stuff. Um, they have this; they can just whip it out. This like very concerned, very emotional, uh, invested response that is uh these kinds of things are what you find in the church in uh, altar call kind of scenarios right where uh, the pastor is pleading and, and and oftentimes that's authentic but oftentimes uh it can be somewhat artificial and manufactured and you see that same kind of spirit come out in these kinds of things and so i'm not saying it's wrong to be emotional or anything i think it's somewhat expected in a situation where you have you know your your children were under threat but it's uh it's overblown. It's overdone. It comes across as fake. It comes across as a politician uh, looking to promote a cause of some kind. And in this case, Brent, you know, Leatherwood goes on and he he, he basically asks for uh, he he thinks that whoever released this should be charged. He thinks it's a member of the law enforcement community somewhere, and you know he just wants them to be punished. Uh, it's kind of weird. I'll be honest. It, it is because you don't see this coming from. The ERLC on in, in other shootings or other scenarios like but but they're very uh, involved in this. And I, when I say they, I do mean they and I'll show you why I say they in a moment. It's not just Leatherwood representing the parents and in his capacity as a parent. There's more going on here that is of concern uh, for Southern Baptists. So uh, let's let's just keep going with this uh, thread from Megan and then we'll, I'll play for you two more clips as we go along here. So uh, Megan said further, Leatherwood here admits the parents seeking to block the release of Audrey Hale's uh, writings have not seen them. How then can we know that we cannot learn anything we didn't already know from them, which is one of the things he says. Uh, the National Association of Police has called for these records to be released to aid them in profiling potential mass shooters to prevent crimes like this in the future. If Leatherwood hasn't seen Hale's writings, how does he know they wouldn't be helpful to the National Association of police. This is actually a point that I made uh, in a chat group yesterday when I first saw this. I thought, my goodness, uh, how in the world does Leatherwood, who has he says in this presser that he's never seen and no parent has seen uh, or read this uh, manifesto, but he's also saying things like, well, I think this is the tip of the iceberg. There's more to this. And uh, and he's very positive, as Megan just said, that you know, this would do damage if released. And, you know, how does he know all of this? What, what's if he hasn't read it? It's there is something odd going on here. Um, either he's obviously relying on someone who's telling him all this, who has read it. Right. I suppose that's a possibility. But still, he seems awfully sure about it uh, himself in his capacity as the representative of the parents or um, and this is what I said. Maybe this is my cynical side. And of course, I'm going to tell you when I am speculating and i don't it, it's it's i think an honest speculation but it's not a uh you know and i don't have primary sources to back it up right now or anything but it would be the behavior i would expect of someone if they were trying to cover for someone and i know an, a number in fact i just got a text from someone who's not even southern baptist doesn't follow these things just a few minutes before i started and basically said the same thing this guy's uh because this made national news um, you know, this guy seems like he's covering for someone like um, and, and there were theories floating around months ago that this uh, and they haven't been confirmed, but that there was in addition to all of this, the school, at least or someone at the school knew more 
could it maybe this could have been prevented? Uh, there was something making the, the school look uh, bad in the whole situation. Now, I don't want to go into more details on that. I don't know. That's and these this was all public. This was all stuff that was out there. I don't have it queued up for you, but uh, but you know, when he acts like this, it makes me wonder if any of those rumors were true. I don't know, but it, it's odd behavior nonetheless. So, uh, here's the second uh clip here. Have you seen the writings No, 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 I'm so, sorry, no. no, to my knowledge, uh, there has been no parent that has been given any sort of access, no. So we had parent briefings, um, survivor um, and victims briefings uh, after March 27th, uh, where, you know, I think this is standard operating procedure. Uh, Metro just kind of reviews. Um, okay, seems like he's at a little loss for words there. But yeah, it's an honest question the reporter asked and a good question. Hey, you're saying all this about this manifesto. And you should, we should punish the person who released it, and uh, it's not helpful, and it's uh, it, it causes uh, it can potentially cause violence, and there's more to it. You seem to know an awful lot about this manifesto, but then again, you're now saying you haven't, you've never seen it, you you haven't read it. So, um, all right. So this is uh, let let's go back to the thread here. Megan makes some good points in this. Um, in the past, in the case of anti-black racism, the ARLC recognized that mass shooters' motives matter and they can be motivated by racial hatred. Why is this not relevant in, the, in this case? So in 2019, ERLC posted, listen, this past weekend, the U.S. was hit with more tragic mass shootings. And the, the shooter in El Paso claimed allegiance to the evil ideology of white supremacy as a motivation for his attack. David French, uh, Jeff Pickering, and Travis, uh, I don't know if that's Wusso, uh, to join to discuss. So they, the ERLC posted, hosted a roundtable on this. The thing that's interesting to me about this is, um, number one, the El Paso shooting, if you actually look at what the, as I remember, the El Paso shooter said, a lot of this was related to climate change. I mean, he wasn't someone that was uh, strictly of the, uh, the of the right, and it wasn't a, a strictly a racial thing. I think it was, uh, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong about this, but it had something to do with, uh, he, I think he was in Texas, obviously El Paso, yeah, Texas, and there was... Um, there was just, a, the, I think the immigration issue might have played into this. There's just too many people coming across. But um, either way, let's say it was totally a, a white supremacy thing. And uh, we we don't want any minorities in Texas or in El Paso, uh, which, you know, in El Paso, I think is like overwhelmingly uh, Latino or Hispanic, if, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, but, but the URLC's reaction is to kind of highlight that, to try to uh, draw attention to it to say that this is something worthy of discussion that the, we, we need to figure a solution out for this and when it comes to someone who's very very i, I would say in much stronger terms against uh white students specifically who go to christian schools uh you don't see any of that there it, it's we got to suppress this we can't talk about it it is exactly the opposite of the way they treated uh that particular shooting so uh so so megan goes on and talks about uh, a little bit about the uh um uh the manifesto what it said uh and then she plays this clip from brett leatherwood um let's see here she she just says that stephen crowder did nothing wrong she, she doesn't believe in releasing this when no one else would here's uh, the clip online from shock jock who aired these images 
I would challenge him and anyone who amplifies them online. Just be a human for once. Quit seeking clicks and retweets and platform building. Yeah, this is the most, it's so disgusting. It's so disgusting. Yeah, don't, don't try to do the platform building. That motive is bad. Oof. Don't try to draw people to your, to your audience or seek clicks. You know, the, the very thing, it's like, do you see where you are, Mr. Leatherwood? Uh, you are, you are getting the attention of national media uh, representing the parents here, but you are, I don't know if they're in an ERLC building. I would not be surprised, but there's ERLC staff around him. I'll show you that in a moment at least appears that way. Um, and uh, he is, uh, you know, clearly <laughs> grandstanding for the, I mean, th this isn't just, um, th this isn't just, here are some, some facts here. Here are why the parents are motivated to pursue suppression of the rest of whatever might be out there. This is much more than that. He is giving his opinions on all of these things. He is, uh, using very emotional language to produce. It almost looks like he's going to cry and break down at some point in this. He said in the beginning that he felt like he had been walking around uh, the day feeling like he had been sucker punched or something. I mean, the, the whole thing is just over the top. And it's he wants to now call Steven Crowder a shock jock who you know, and blame him for doing this. This was wrong when... Uh, in previous similar circumstances, the RLC was the one that was signal boosting the uh, high and highlighting the shooter's motives uh, when it was against in, or whether they could at least use it against uh, quote unquote white supremacy. Right. So it's it's just so rich. The, the hypocrisy is you, you mean it. I don't even know if I have to comment. You just play the clip see the ERL, see what they did before. And, and it's, uh, and, and it's just, just live through, honestly, live through 2018, 2019, 2020 and 2021. If you just live through those years and you're a Southern Baptist and you paid even, you know, 10% of attention to what was going on, you know, that th this is rank hypocrisy. So, uh, ah, man. All right. So I think we're going to finish this thread and, uh, and go from there. But the, the thread finishes with Megan saying, and again, as my colleague said, let's see, pointed out, suppression of shooters' writings has allowed the media, some politicians, and gun control activists, including Leatherwood, to turn this into a gun control issue. Yeah, one of the things I said yesterday in the podcast, uh, that concealing the motives, because um, you, what happens is when there's a shooting and the motives can fit the left's playbook or their agenda, what happens is they go after that thing. Like, we got to clamp down on white supremacy. So, the DOJ has got to target, quote unquote, white supremacy groups, something like that. That's what they do or anti-Muslim hate or, you know, something along those lines. But when they don't have a clear path to blame their political enemies, what they'll do is they'll blame the guns and they'll say. And so they still blame their political enemies. It's gun advocates at that point who are responsible. And Leatherwood went along with all of that. The person that your SBC money is going to, if you are in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, the lawyers that are hired by this organization, the material that's put out, uh, your I, I can't emphasize it enough. If you're in the SBC, some of your money, if you're a typical SBC church giving to the cooperative program, your money's going to this guy and going to support things that are the opposite of what you believe. 
One more addendum, she says, based on a few confused comments I'm seeing out there, Leatherwood is not the father of a victim. Most of the parents in this group are not parents of victims. They are 100 parents of students who attend Covenant and at least one member family of a victim, Reggie Hill. So, yeah, I guess that's important to point out that he's not he, he's acting like he is like his child. You would think his child died in this or something. And um, maybe a friend of the child did. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's it's a tough situation for sure. I mean, I've just experienced some loss in my own life and I, I, I get that. But uh, but he his his children are, are with him. They did not perish in this. Um, when this first happened, I remember thinking that, you know, if Covenant is like the typical uh, middle class Christian schools that um, or, you know, seminaries is what I was spending a lot of time on. But but I but I knew because I was hearing the stories from people who attended private Christian schools that the same narratives were happening there. Um, yeah, I think it was ACSI and you know, they had Walter Strickland doing this uh, diversity training stuff. And I mean, they, they were bringing in the same stuff that I was seeing in seminary uh, into these schools. And I thought, you know, I wonder if the people, you know, th that are at this school, that the, the parents of the children are in that group, a lot of them, that they are kind of in this, um, you know, kind of neoconservative-ish, but kind of like semi-woke, social justice-y, uh, like a group of Southern Baptists, but also, you know, just broadly evangelicals who were going down this path, taking this narrative. And and I, I, I wondered, this was all speculation again, I'm telling you when I'm speculating, so, so you don't have to believe me, uh, but I wondered whether or not that factored into the reaction, because the reaction has been the uh, the parents, and it's not all the parents, but enough of the parents have been active against uh, guns and trying to support red flag laws and those kinds of things, lobbying for it, that I just thought something's weird about this. You know, why in the world are they going after that? I mean, it, it's not, you, you would think it would be like, we need tighter security here. We actually need more guns. We need, the, the teachers need to be armed or, or you know, we need some way of protecting ourselves against people who don't like us who are against us because of our Christian beliefs, or in this case, apparently because there's white people here, you know, that that's the kind of uh, in the chat. If you have any questions, feel free to comment before we switch gears and start talking about uh, this uh, issue. Uh, it, well, uh, this, this apology from Bart Barber uh, for joining an amicus brief on the abuse stuff. Um, so someone Someone is upset at me, I guess. I'll, I'll put it out there. John puts out three pages from the sexual deviant Crowder. Doesn't wait for context. Doesn't mention the shooter's uh, first target was a mall, which blows up the message Crowder was trying to push. Um, yeah, I mean, if you want to put more information in the comments, I'd be curious uh, to know what you, how your thoughts connect, because I don't see any connection there. Um, I, I mean, what you saw was hatred for white people, hatred for white people, white, white kids who attend Christian schools who might be fairly affluent. Uh, it doesn't mean that there couldn't be hate for other groups as well, but at least in this particular shooting, in this case, there was specific hate for a specific group. And that's the only point I've ever made. And I think that was the point Steven Crowder was making. I didn't listen to his whole episode, but, uh, the, I listened to probably about 25 minutes of it and that's all I heard him saying. So, um, so sorry, uh, uh, Leia uh, Laughlin, uh, if you, yeah, if you, if you could explain to me what you mean by that, I'd be all ears, but, um, yeah, I don't see that. Um, 
checked off uh, asks, would Pharisee be an apt description? Straining at a gnat, ignoring the camel. Yeah, perhaps. I, I mean, I've said that for a long time. I think a lot of these social justice advocates in the Southern Baptist Convention act like Pharisees. The, the things that they want to be concerned about are things that, if they even are problems, are minor compared to much bigger problems. And they will ignore much bigger things. And it usually parallels, you know, the left is concerned about this, so we're concerned. And, uh, you know, the right is more concerned about this, so we're not concerned. Um, okay, so let's move on then to the, the next uh, thing here. Um, I think that was it for Megan. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was her last uh, tweet in that particular thread. So here's, uh, oh, before we leave the issue, I forgot about this. Um, so I was going to show you this. If you, uh, if you go to, Sean Graham is the one who posted this. These are two screenshots from the, now, th this, this press conference with Leatherwood. Uh, we, I don't know exactly where it was. I'm wondering if it was in a Southern Baptist building. I don't know, though. It may not have been. It, but when the cam the cameras uh, kind of whoever was running the camera uh, looked around the room briefly before ending the conference, uh, the press conference, and you saw uh, now it's a little fuzzy, but you saw this gentleman and you saw uh, this particular um, uh, lady here. And uh, Sean Graham pointed out something. This was pretty early on. He picked it up. I was actually impressed that he picked this up. But if you look at the pictures, Elizabeth Bristow, who's the press secretary for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptist Convention, looks an awful lot like the person in this photo. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's the same person. And then if you scroll down on the ERLC staff page, you'll come to uh, this gentleman, Alex Ward. Alex Ward looks an awful lot like the gentleman in this picture. Now, I don't think we're seeing everyone who is there. But you're seeing um, there's enough there to make you scratch your head and say, why in the world are the ERLC resources like the press secretary and the research associate and project manager? Why are they there? What's the purpose of them being there? Um, and why does it look like they're kind of they're running things they're organizing, whatever this is? This is not just a parents of the victims of the shooting or parents of friends of the victims of the shooting parents. Uh, who had kids that went to the school. This is more than that. This is a Southern Baptist uh, activity of some kind. They're involved in this. this the, the Southern Baptist Convention is involved in the message that Leatherwood put out there. And that's the thing that I think should concern Southern Baptists. Why in the world are, I mean, did is this something you want to be involved in? Well, you're paying for it if you're in the Southern Baptist Convention. Your money's going to this kind of thing. So uh, I wanted to show you that. Now, let's uh, move on. Let's talk about uh, some other stuff. We got, um, oh, Stephen Crowder. Okay, I forgot about this too. Stephen Crowder actually, <laughs> I'll show you this. All right, last thing, last thing before we, I, I promise, last thing before we uh, move on. So Stephen Crowder put this out there. And uh, and by the way, Stephen Crowder, I don't listen to Stephen Crowder. Um I, he's a comedian. I'm sure he probably says some off-color things. So I'm not defending any of those things. Uh, he just happened to be the guy who had the guts to publish this. And um, he posted a screenshot from an Emily uh, Cotrain, uh, New York Times journalist. My name is Emily 
uh, Cochrane, and I'm a reporter at the New York Times. I'm working on a story on Mr. Crowder's publication of the Covenant Writings and just left a press conference where one parent, Brent Leatherwood, was critical of the decision to publish those photos. He described it as chasing clicks at one point and said that proceeds from the video should go to the families of the six victims and or the school. I watched the video earlier this morning. We'll incorporate some of that, but also wanted to make sure Mr. Crowder didn't have any additional comment in response to the pushback. You know, where was Brent Leatherwood on all of the other shootings that the URLC used as uh, evidence of white supremacy or racial, you know, white nationalism or something along those lines, nativism. And they, uh, they never, I never, I don't recall any of this, you know, asking, well, all the major media that all, that capitalizes on this, including us, we're donating to the, the victims. Did they ever do that? Did the URLC ever donate any of their, I mean, what about, uh, you know, should cooperative program money be given to victims when the ERLC does panel discussions discussing the white supremacy of the shooting uh, uh, perpetrator and that kind of thing? No, of course not. They're, they're totally rank hypocrisy. But this just shows you the uh, what the ERLC, who the ERLC is being used by. The ERLC, your Southern Baptist Convention dollars are going to an entity that the New York Times is using and weaponizing against uh, someone who, like Stephen Crowder, who happened to release this manifesto and shine a light on the, the motives of this particular shooter, at least at least some of the motives, uh, if not all. So th this is um, fascinating to me. Uh, to, for those in the SBC, you see this, but for those outside, this can be, I think, confusing. You know, what in the world is going on? Uh, I mean, and, and I think if you're not thinking too clearly or carefully about it, you will get sucked into the emotional response. You're like, of course, yes, this is so insensitive. The victims, they, they're, they're reliving that moment of pain again, that kind of thing. All right. Well, let's now uh, move on. We are truly moving on at this point uh, to the next issue. I don't see any more uh, relevant uh, comments or questions about it, but you can always leave a comment or question in the chat, uh, if you are on YouTube or Facebook, I will see it. Uh, don't forget uh, to like. I, I, I never say this, but I, I need to more. Don't forget to like uh, on YouTube and on Facebook. Share around uh, if you uh, feel that this is good information, especially for your fellow Southern Baptists and Christians of all kinds out there. And uh, and, and if you like what you're hearing, um, feel free to support on Patreon. By the way, I should say this as I'm in the, the mode of uh, my own self-promotion here, <laughs> um, which I'm shameless about, by the way. Uh, I think that's perfectly acceptable and fine. Um, the uh, On Thursday evening uh, at 8 o'clock p.m., Thursday evening, 8 o'clock p.m., this week, I'm going to be finishing our discussion with Time and Klein uh, and um, uh, about, um, now I'm trying to remember what we were talking about. <laughs> Classical liberalism. That's right. Classical liberalism. Uh, but not not just classical liberalism, also uh, modern liberalism. And any questions, we've had four se part series on this. Uh, so um, Time and Klein is going to join me. Also, Ben Crenshaw from Hillsdale College is going to join me. And we're going to take any question that you may have on the topic of liberalism. And, uh, and it's fine to ask about Christian nationalism, G3, whatever you want to talk about. We're there. And if you're a patron, you can call into the show. You can be part of the show uh, and make your point or ask your question live in real time. So that's uh, eight o'clock this Thursday night. Um, and the, the links 
um, well, I don't know if I put the link in the info section for this video, but if you go to patreon.com, patreon.com uh, forward slash worldview conversation, worldview conversation, you can join as little as five bucks a month and, uh, and you can be part of the discussion this Thursday night. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about this amicus brief that caused quite a stir. Uh, this is a uh, story from Baptist Global News, Baptist News Global, very, I would say, left-wing outlets. I think they're even funded by a left-wing organization, uh, but uh, they I didn't see other stories out there about this particular issue. I, I'm familiar somewhat with what's going on, but um, I did want to read for you a news story about it. This is uh, a headline that says, SBC Executive Committee members surprised to learn they filed an amicus brief against a sexual abuse survivor in Kentucky. This was more of a controversy two weeks ago, last week, um, but it's ongoing. So when the Louisville Courier Journal reported yesterday that the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Lifeway Christian Resources, and the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee had submitted an amicus brief arguing against the rights of a sexual abuse survivor that was the first members of the executive committee ever heard of it. And some of them are furious, as are advocates for abuse survivors who have been working for years to get something done in the nation's largest Protestant denomination. Uh, this is deplorable, uh, said uh, Chris Davis. The SBC is lending its voice against a survivor in a case in which it is not named. This is legal cruelty. All right, so so the, the typical things you'd, you'd expect. Um, Adam Wyatt said, we had a uh, Mississippi Baptist pastor. We had no working knowledge of this as a board. Poor excuse, I know, but it's true. In a separate tweet, he said, I continue to grow very tired of seeking people, uh, letting people speak on my behalf uh, without ever being consulted. Okay. So it, it, it just as a lineup of quotes from Southern Baptists uh, who are very angry that this took place and this is against abusers. Um, Jacob Dellenhollander, a Kentucky pastor whose wife has been an outspoken advocate against sexual abuse, tweeted, when the SBC and the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary raise their voice against a victim in the case that doesn't involve them because of potential lawsuits, they are acting on a selfish consequentialist ethic. You, you notice this is the same kind of thing Leatherwood did, right? It's immediately questioning uh, the motives. And, and it's I don't have a problem with reasonable uh, you know, coming to conclusions about why someone might be motivated by something publicly. Um, but in the capacity, I, I guess the, the divide I see is like if you're in an organization and your capacity is like you're making you're doing a press conference <laughs> or you're interviewed by the media or you're you're speaking as a representative of the organization. Um, I mean, it's okay to have your own thoughts on what might motivate something, but what I find happening a lot in the SBC circles is they, when, when, when they're in a corner or when, um, when they have political opponents that they want to squelch somehow, they will often do this thing where they, they make it all about that person. It's actually, it, it's a tactic that works so often. You, you question the integrity of the person who's bringing the information uh, or uh, who made the decision, and you don't actually talk about the issues. And in this case, I mean, it, it's it's a smear. It's a complete, you know, they're selfish, consequentialist. I mean, uh, right and wrong is determined by its effect on us. So, I mean, it, it's so much beyond, you know, you it's like they can't even conceive of maybe there was a legitimate decision to join this, uh, to make this amicus brief. Maybe there was other, there was something legitimate here. No, there's no even, it, it's got to be like some anti-Christian consequentialist ethic that's you know, pervasive and must, it, it, it's going to color everything that person does, apparently. I mean, it's a, it's a, somewhat of an ad hominem. They wouldn't pass their own ethics class, he says. Gross. 
Um, all right. So there's so much of this. I'm not going to go. But um, the, the case is uh, uh, it, it relates to claims by Samantha Killery, who alleges her adoptive father, a Louisville police officer, sexually abused her throughout her childhood. She also sued two other police officers in the department for their alleged roles in knowing about the abuse and not reporting it. And I think the other two were her grandpa and her uh, the lover of her father, who were both police as well. A Jefferson County Circuit Court judge threw out the case because of the time of the alleged abuse. The state's statute of limitations for reporting abuse claims was only five years, which had elapsed. But in 2017, the state legislature doubled the time in which victims could sue. And in 2021, it said claims could be brought against non-perpetrators, such as police, government units, or religious organizations that violated their duties to children. The Kentucky Court of Appeals reinstated Killary's suit, and now the state Supreme Court must decide whether the legislature's expansions of the statute of limitations and the reach of child abuse claims should be applied retroactively to cases of alleged abuse that happened before the law changed. Although the SBC, Lifeway, and Executive Committee are not named in this case, the outcome could have significant relevance to them. So, And that's because of the Hannah Kate Williams lawsuit against them. Now, here's, here's the thing about this. This is a confirmed... Uh, a, a confirmed victim. This is someone who actually already went to court against her father. Uh, one wanted to though take things further, but the statute of limitations was already expired. But then this law is passed, and now she would like to uh, to continue that fight. Um, but can um, the question really seems to be whether or not that statute that that uh, rule made in twenty seventeen should apply uh, to organizations or not for, um, for for things that happened before that law was made. So uh, the reason the SBC would be interested in this is because in the uh, situation with Hannah Kate Williams, where she's um, saying she wants to sue the organization, the Southern Baptists, for what took place in uh, local settings, uh, it, I mean, there's actually more than one issue here because one of the issues is about local church autonomy. But but another issue is statute of limitations. And as I understand it, and uh, whether or not organizations um, can be sued uh, when things uh, beyond the statute of limitations or uh, w regarding things that happened before this 2017 law was passed. So uh, that's th those are the issues. Now, um, the I will just say this. There's a suspicion out there, too, that this is the reason for this is the SBC likely has a relationship with an insurance company <laughs> and the insurance company will likely not defend them if they don't take every available um, they, they don't take the advice of the company and take every available legal action at their disposal. And so it would benefit not just the Southern Baptist Convention, but also the insurance company uh, being paid by the Southern Baptist Convention. If that and again, this is this is somewhat speculative, but I think that it's it, it makes sense of the situation more than other explanations. Uh, and, and it and, and there have been similar situations like this where um, it would benefit the insurance company to be able to see a case like this, like the Killary case, be uh, thrown out for the SBC as a matter of uh, making sure the SBC isn't in trouble for things that happened beyond the statute of limitations or could have happened. So that that seems to be the issue. And I'm that may be where the pressure is coming from. Now, this has opened up a whole discussion about statute of limitations. 
and whether or not we, I mean, I, I don't have them all queued up, but there were some really out there posts by SBC insiders saying that basically statute of limitations was immoral and that kind of thing, which is just kind of bonkers. I mean, that's, the, of course, this has developed over time. This is in a uh, system of, um, a, this is part of our legal tradition, uh, but there's good reasons for having statute of limitations. Uh, anyone remember the Kavanaugh hearings, right? Uh, when you can go back 20, 30 years, uh, when you can, I mean, the, the, and, and I'm not trying to make an argument as to when the statute of limitations should kick in for various crimes, but when you can go back to a certain point when memories are fuzzy, when uh, evidence is, is not around anymore, it's been destroyed, uh, when, and, and you can just start, you know, making accusations when someone, let's say, enters the political fray or something like that, then you destroy them. You destroy their reputation. And it may not even be something that's true. And one of the principles you do find in scripture uh, over and over again is that justice should be swift. That's the whole Mosaic law, really. Justice is swift. It doesn't take time. It's not like our system where you're in court for years. Uh, it is a, a, a very fast thing that happens. Were there witnesses? There aren't? Okay, well, then this is thrown out. Uh, oh, there were. Okay, well, two or three. It's it's corroborated. Uh, all right. Well, th that's you know, there's a penalty for this. So um, that's what statute of limitations are supposed to encourage: is justice must be swift. And um, anyway, but you had reactions like this. Uh, David Morrill highlighted it. Um, Rachel Denhollander. Uh, she posted this from a guy named Sean Dennis. Sean Dennis says, as an attorney licensed to practice law in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, I want to say this to Southern Baptists, pastors, you do not need to become an expert on the intricacies uh, of laws on statutes of limitations. You have the gospel. Huh. Interesting. You have the gospel, which was declared to give sight to the blind and set captives free. The gospel repairs the broken and makes people whole. In a world where much is complicated, this is simple. Making it seem complex is for scribes and Pharisees. You have a better teacher. So there you go. Scribes and Pharisees, if you get hung up on statute of limitations, because the gospel apparently uh, is, if, if you believe the gospel, it's such a weaponization of the gospel for political purposes, um, then you're going to, statute of limitations shouldn't matter, uh, it, because the gospel uh, gives sight to the blind and sets the captives free. So beyond statute of limitations, the, uh, the, that's what the gospel does. Um, uh, obviously complete misapplication of the gospel and the, a weaponization. I mean, th this is just a, it's a false gospel at that point. If you're, if, if you think that this somehow applies to statutes of limitations and, uh, certain legal, uh, principles and Rachel Denhollander, who's been an attorney, uh, for, uh, representing, well, it's hard to know who she represents sometimes, but, uh, she's been representing victims of the SBC, but also consulting with uh, the SBC. She says, beautiful, simple post by an attorney in Kentucky who also happens to be Southern Baptist. And David Morrill says, the gospel giving sight to the blind is not about magically giving pastors legal expertise. That's what lawyers are for. Any lawyer giving advice to this to a client would be committing malpractice. Rod Martin posted this. This is a statement from Al Mohler. Al Mohler said, as is often the case in questions of law, significant constitutional legal questions arise and re require arguments to make uh, be made before the courts. In such cases, we must refer to legal counsel. We respect the rule of law and must work through the process with legal presentation, representation who must speak for us in this case. And R Rod Martin says, this is odd. 
This is not what Al Mohler said. When 11 out of 11 lawyers told the executive committee of the Southern Baptists they could not lawfully waive attorney-client privilege. Back then, he told executive committee members they were in sin if they didn't ignore the lawyers. And then he refused to waive privilege at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Mohler is, I know many of you don't understand this or might disagree with this. I've been making this point for years, and it just gets proven over and over and over again. Mohler and I've seen this after years of watching the guy and the positions he takes. He is such a political animal as far as like, and I don't mean animal in a derogatory. I mean, I mean, I, I just mean that he is motivated by politics and he will shift if, if it benefits him politically or not so easily. And, and you, you see it with this. I mean, it's, we got to uh, pay attention to legal counsel. We just have to follow it. And it's like, well, what about when you, you know, the executive committee made such a dumb move that you weren't even willing to make with your own entity, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, then it was sinful, then it was bad. You can't listen to the lawyers on this. So, uh, so he points that out. I felt, I figured that was worthy of pointing out. And then Bart Barber, who is the uh, president of the Southern Baptist Convention, made a statement on October 30th regarding the convention's amicus brief. I don't want to read this whole thing for you. Um, he takes the blame. He say he approved of it, but he also says that he had this window like, and he forgot that he had done this basically that he had been asked to join the brief and it was a stressful week and he had all these meetings and he had a window of like three hours that he had to make the decision as to whether the Southern Baptist convention was going to join this brief, which does further make me wonder whether there was some kind of a pressure coming from like an insurance company or something. But, um, he doesn't recall his exact thoughts, he, which was his, by the way, which is, one of the reasons for statute of limitations, right? He's going back to last year and he can't even recall his own thoughts regarding the brief, but, um, but, but he's, he's apologizing, uh, to everyone and, and just, you know, he just is so sorry that he approved of this. Now, I don't know how he's able to do that, to be quite honest with you as the president of the denomination, how he can just make a decision for the whole denomination and say, we're going to join this uh, this amicus brief, or I don't know. I'm, 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 that doesn't seem right. Something seems weird about that, but maybe, maybe that's in bounds. Uh, but it's, it's certainly something I've never heard of before happening in the SBC. And, um, all right. So that's that issue. Any questions or comments on that? I am curious to see them and we will, uh, then move on to the final issue for the Southern Baptist in this particular podcast. Um, Someone said, okay, okay, this is uh, uh, Leah, uh, Leah Laughlin. Uh, I asked her earlier about why she put in the comments, uh, you know, that I, I guess I was being inaccurate with going with Stephen Crowder's narrative. Uh, she said the shooter targeted a mall first, but it had too much security. She also shot a black man. Okay. I mean, I knew that. I, I reported on that when it first happened. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's so irrelevant, though. I mean, you can be targeting a school with primarily uh, white looking kids and want to kill them. And if there's a teacher or I think it was, a, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was a teacher uh, that stands in your way. Of course, you're going to shoot the, the threat you're going and, and you're, I don't know, you're not going to make the distinction. You're on a mass killing spree. So it's totally irrelevant. Um, it's uh, the, I, I would trust the words that the shooter uh, made right before the shooting. Uh, and then, of course, targeting a mall first, but it had too much security. I mean, okay, <laughs> I don't know what uh, the, the statement she made before shooting at the school was specifically she wants to take out these kids 
who go to Christian private schools in with daddy's money in nice sports cards. I mean, that was she was specific on who she wanted to target. So whether or not there was a mall that had too much security, I mean, if anything, I guess that that would tell you that maybe having school security would have made a difference, doesn't it? In fact, in her timeline, she says check security uh, and there wasn't security. So Brent Leatherwood's solution is red flag logs, right? Should be more security at the school. All right. Um, yeah, and people are debating that in the chat. So uh, seems, let's see. Where can I find the proof about Al Mohler? Uh, well, I have done several videos on it. Um, I've also, there's a little section in my book, Christianity and Social Justice, Religions in Conflict. You can get it on Amazon, but you can also get it at my website, johnharrispodcast.com. And I have a whole section on Al Mohler in there. Um, and you can find that. Um, and someone says enemies within the church film. There is some some in enemies within the church as well. I think I go into more detail in, in the book uh, and in some of my videos. I think what happened to Al Mohler is one of the videos. I, I did a few videos on Al Mohler, but you can go to, you know, just type in on, on YouTube conversations that matter. Al Mohler, you, you'll come up with a bunch of stuff. Okay, um, let us then go to the final. Or we, we don't have much time left. The final issue here, uh, and this is, again, Baptist News Global reported on it, but this is not where I first heard about this. Uh, the Coalition of Baptist Leaders will file amicus briefs challenging NAM's view of First Amendment. Bobby Gilstrap hosted Randy, uh, they say Randy Travis, no, Randy Adams on uh, his podcast recently, and they talked about this. But basically what's happening is, I'm just going to summarize it for you. Will McCraney, who's been on the podcast before, uh, is has a battle. He's an ongoing battle, the U.S. Supreme Court level, against the North American Mission Board because of Kevin Ezell, the president there, essentially preventing him from getting a job after leaving, uh, I believe it was the Maryland-Delaware uh, convention, which, or not convention, but I don't remember what they called it, but the Maryland-Delaware Association of Baptists. And uh, Will McCraney, you know, he that, that particular association is not, at the time, it certainly was not part of the SBC. There was relationships and connections, but it's a separate entity. Uh, it is is not under the umbrella. They can do their own thing. But you have Kevin Ezell then um, wanting to punish him, I guess. I don't I don't know exactly the motives of Kevin Ezell, but at least trying to prevent him from getting uh, jobs. Uh, I don't know if it was teaching or, or what, but church planning, because I think that's his expertise. And um, and so he's he's in this battle about, you know, can the SBC, can they uh, defame someone who is not even. Uh, doesn't work for them. Does, I mean, this, this is this a, it's a defamation lawsuit, as I understand it. So that's a very short summary. You can go check out the videos that I've done with McCraney if you want to know more. Randy Adams, who, by the way, Randy, I have so much respect for him. I think, honestly, I think that was, it was a 20, 2021 when Randy Adams last ran for president of the convention. I think that was like the turning point. I think that was the high watermark for conservatives being able to do anything about the drift in the SBC. And I, I still think Randy Adams was the guy that um, he wanted to go. I remember it. I remember thinking like, cause I was going after the social justice stuff so much and Randy Adams wanted to make corruption the main issue. And I have, he kind of convinced me that was the main issue and the two ran together. But now I'm seeing very clearly, Oh, it is corruption. That is the main thing that the SBC has a problem with. And uh, anyway, um, I, I got to interview him at the time. I actually went out to, uh, his, uh, I visited him as, at his office in Washington and, uh, and, and so he, um, 
is filing an amicus brief. <laughs> so he's he's trying to inform the Supreme Court that what the North American Mission Board, and I guess I think the ERLC too, but at least the North American Mission Board are telling them about Baptist polity is inaccurate because the case Nam wants to make is, well, we are part of the Southern Baptist Convention and we're all part of the Southern Baptist Convention. And it's one it's one enchilada, essentially. It's a, it's like a top down organization. Uh, and it, it's not it, we have the right to um, give advice on uh, hiring practices for a former employee or that kind of thing. And so th their whole argument hinges on Baptist polity is not really about autonomous churches. It's about this this organization that controls. And that's totally backwards. And Randy Adams is fi filing his amicus brief saying, look, that's not what Southern Baptist polity is. That's not how we organize ourselves. Um, McCraney contends that the so-called ecclesial exemption doctrine, uh, which so so this is a First Amendment issue to the North American Mission Board. It's freedom. They have the freedom to, to do this. Um, but McCraney contends that the so-called ecclesial exemption doctrine does not apply in this case because he was not an employee of NAM. And therefore, uh, this is not about NAM's internal personnel policies. So they're not shielded because of the First Amendment. Um, Adams said uh, that many Baptist pastors, associated leaders, and convention leaders have already said they want their name on the brief that will be filed on Tuesday, November 7th. So I guess we are late for that. <laughs> I don't know. You can still go to randyadams.org, see if you can contact him if you want your name, if you're a Southern Baptist and you have any official position in the organization. Uh, I think even if you're a pastor, contact him and say, I want to be part of this amicus brief. Um, by 4 p.m. Well, may I, you, you may have missed the deadline. I'm not sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to talk any more about that. I just wanted to put it out there in case there was still a window of opportunity to join that. But this has been an ongoing thing with the North American Mission Board. So uh, that is the last issue I want to talk about concerning Southern Baptists today. Um, and uh, Christian Mama posted 1 Corinthians 6. Verse seven, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not be rather defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Uh, and then says any Christian organization that hires unbelievers, lawyers is out of line. They need to stop it. Um, I, I actually thought when I first saw this verse, this was like against uh, Will McCraney <laughs> because he's taking them to court. The, the, the thing is about this, there's a few things because I, I have thought about this a bit, not just with Will McCraney, but just in general. Uh, there was an issue I remember at Liberty University a few years ago where the communications director was um, was essentially fired. And uh, there was a question about, you know, if you if you go, if you sue Liberty University, I mean, it's a Christian institution. Are you violating First Corinthians 6? And I think there's a couple ways you can come down on this. One is if all other, uh, first of all, it's not a black and white. You can never sue a Christian ever in any circumstance, um, but it is a defeat for you. Uh, why, you know, why not rather be defrauded? Of course, there's a very strong question to ask. Why, why not just let it go? You know, and I think there there's a reason to sometimes take someone to court, even if it's a Christian or a Christian organization, when all other resources have been exhausted. And when you're doing it not for yourself, but for others who are potentially going to be hurt. And the other thing I'll say is just because it's a Christian organization, quote unquote, doesn't mean it's a Christian individual. The, the first Corinthians six is talking about what 
It's talking about Christian individuals. Talking about now, and I think you could say that a, a culmination of individuals in an organization or a church, yeah, but uh, you know, it may apply. But some of these organizations have not been behaving very Christian, and they are composed. I'm just going to say it: of people pulling the strings at the top levels who are not likely Christians. Um, what do you do with that? When, when Christianity Today, we'll, we'll pick an easier one to think through. Christianity Today, I mean, is that a Christian magazine? I guess it is, but I guess it's not. And Megan Basham just did a whole expose on them for, you know, the the Democrat, how they give money to, the, to Democrats, the staff there. But if you just look at their content, it is it is not like an Orthodox Christian organization. It's clear that it's a it's basically a political front for the left to try to influence evangelicals. That's what I see it as. And it's been taken over by people who are, you know, pro, uh, there, there are writers there who seem to be, uh, okay with abortion, uh, okay with, um, well, at the very least, okay with the, the sexual, uh, deviancies and that kind of thing. And, and I mean, at what point do you say, well, I can't take any legal action because they're a Christian organization, right? So not a discussion we were, were, uh, maybe planning on having, but uh, Christian Mama uh, responded, said, there's no reason to take anyone to court. Jesus suffered death penalty at Caesar's hands. How much more are we to suffer at the hands of false brethren? <laughs> okay, well, that is that is a uh, interesting position. I do, do not take that position. I do think there's reasons to uh, use the legal remedies we have. In fact, I think Paul used his Roman citizenship as a legal remedy uh, to try to stave off the kind of suffering that he would incur had he not said he was a Roman citizen. So, there are certainly reasons to do that. Even the Mosaic Law makes provisions uh, for uh, taking someone to, um, you know, the equivalent of court for a wrongdoing. So, so, so this is something that has been part of our legal tradition for a long time. I'm not going to say our legal system here is perfect because it's not. But uh, anyway, that's that's my take on it. So um, we have been going almost an hour. I'm going to land the plane now. True Script Tuesday is going to be on Wednesday, I think. And we're just going to do it tomorrow, but. I appreciate everyone's time and attention, and this is for Southern Baptists, so I, I hope this helps you think through questions of leaving, staying, what to do. Um, if you go to the ERLC website, you can, uh, I believe, find the, in fact, I don't know if it's on the website. I'll just say the names here in closing, because I know I screenshotted, someone had posted the uh, the board for the ERLC. So if you go uh, to, I don't know what website this is, um, but if... Uh, this is the board for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. I really wish I had this queued up. I didn't think about it, though. Uh, so you have, let's see, you have a number of people here whose terms are expiring. I'll just read off some names. Uh, ter, ter, I'll, I'll go to the term expiring in 2024 because I know that they're still there. Anthony Cox, um, Sherry uh, Privetto. Michael Geyer, Lori Bova, Alan Gale, Preston White, uh, Joseph Godfrey, Todd Howard, A.B. Vines, Jonathan Fer Ferrari, Amy Petway, uh, Jimmy Patterson's, Patterson, uh, Janny England, Tony uh, Beam, Scott Foshi, Greg Greer, Jamie Masso, Matthew Morgan, Paul Yu. Uh, Christine Hoover, Kelly Hancock, uh, Jonathan Whitehead, uh, David uh, Prince, and Kevin Smith. Um, Kevin Smith, I recognize. That guy's kind of woke. Uh, Jonathan Whitehead, uh, actually, I think is a lawyer who's been very helpful on these things. 
Uh, in fact, I was listening to a part of a podcast he did with American Reformer on the issue of uh, this uh, the um, a killery case, and it was really good. Um, but that's the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission uh, um, board. So um, I'm I'm not sure exactly. I'll tr I'll try to look for it, and if I can, I'll try to post it on a comment on YouTube so people know where to go. But those are people you can contact if you have a problem with what Brett Leatherwood is doing. All right. God bless. More coming. Bye now. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.